no monitors and things like that. Um, so welcome. And I'm really excited to have both uh, a publisher and a uh, photographer with his first monograph on at the same time, because I think that that offers a unique um, vantage point for our conversation. So what I usually do is just give this very, very brief uh, introduction, literally like a sentence. And then um, uh, in a few cases, I really like to frame the work. And I think that um, enough is one of those um, uh, subjects where I really want to be able to frame it. So indulge me for a minute, I might have to read, I have a quote or two, but um, this is what I'm gonna start with. So welcome everybody. And I'm gonna speak about Laurent first. Um, Laurent Chevalier, originally from the West Coast, calls New York City home and describes his photography as observational artistry with a focus on the environment. Part documentary, part commentary, part conceptual. His first monograph, Enough, is a portrait of blackness. Chris Graves is also a photographer and a publisher. He created a photo-centric imprint called Chris Grave Projects. And he also created a second one called Monolith, devoted to, be to people of color and is not only specific to photography. And I believe this year, Chris, you published 18 books, which is <laughs> kind of amazing. <laughs> um, and so I want to just frame it by saying that um, Laurent is aware of the fact that what we see shapes us. And he was inspired by the seminal collaboration between Roy de Carava and Langston Hughes, the sweet fly paper of life, which my copy is back at my studio. Um, Laurent brings his community into light and into conversation on his terms. He provides in monograph a way to see and hear individuals, to focus on the, on the dynamic evolution of each person, becoming and claiming their agency as they wish, in their space, in their way, on their time, discovering and owning their own value. So I believe any sharing of work is an act of vulnerability and I believe it's sacred ground. And I try to, to raise that and protect that when we talk about work. And I believe that, and know I'm aware, I'm in a discussion on a topic I know little, if anything, about. So I do want to frame the conversation. And I'm going to quote two uh, pieces from Teju Cole who also wrote on blackness. And I'm just going to refer to the playwright who wrote the first essay uh, or the essay in your book, Laurent. So um, this is what uh, Teju said in reference to what we're talking about. American racism has many moving parts and has had enough centuries in which to evolve an impressive camouflage. It can hoard its malice in great stillness for a long time all the while pretending to look the other way. Like misogyny, it is atmospheric. You don't see it at first, but understanding comes. And he speaks about um, blackness in this way in a different uh, context. This is Teju Cole again, and I quote, to be a stranger is to be looked at, but to be black is to be looked at 
especially, to be black is to bear the brunt of selective enforcement of the law and, in to, and to inhabit a psychic unsteadiness in which there is no guarantee of personal safety. You are a black body first. You are a kid walking down the street or a Harvard professor who has misplaced his keys. Mm -hmm. So I just wanna quote from uh, Cyrus Aaron, who's a playwright. Um, I will link when we do the summary into a very short piece he did um, on gentrification, uh, a little um, uh, video, it's kind of amazing. But in the essay, Cyrus uh, leads us into the book and he, here's his quote. He talks about a transformative shift is happening in our communities. He talks about a repositioning of the gaze, this is incredible, from over the shoulder to what lies within and ahead. So Cyrus speaks of the historic realities of the diaspora and slavery in this way, and I quote, as unsettling circumstances from a borrowed beginning. And Cyrus notes, we are readying for a gathering, a belonging is yet to be experienced. So I wanted to frame everything in that because I am opening to listen and to hear all that both of you have to say. Um, I was really moved by the work and how you grounded it both in the essay and in the poetry, which came from your awareness of the word. So I just wanna open it up and um, basically say, Laurent, like, bring us there. Like when, tell us where this idea formed into a project and how. Yeah, um, thanks, for, uh, thanks for reading those quotes. I'm really thankful for Cyrus um, and his uh, use of words and his awareness of knowing how to uh, meld, I guess, different perspectives and, you know, my visual perspective. And he understood that and really kind of, uh, distilled that into his own version of text. So I feel like they're very um, complementary, but they're not necessarily explanatory of each other, which I loved about his work. Um, so the project came about really initially just for me um, going back over work I had shot. That was sort of the first nugget of it. You know, I started just kind of keeping a camera with me at all times and just, you know, basically taking photos of things that were around me. And, you know, especially in my earlier times, it was very, very much casual. Uh, it was just, you know, sometimes it'd be a photo of a friend, sometimes it might be a scene, um, but there wasn't um, necessarily a focused uh, work that I was attempting to do at that time when I first started. But as time moved on, and I think it was actually uh, shortly after the Trayvon Martin uh, murder that I actually wanted to say, something in regards to that, but through my own perspective. Um, and I think that was actually part of the nugget of what really made me go back into the work with a purpose to see exactly what it was that I'd already put my eye toward. So the mm -hmm. first thing was really just going back to see, okay, what are the things that um, I'm inspired by? What are the things that are moved by? What are the things that I find important in the work that I've already shot? Um, and then using that to kind of give me a point um, of departure to move forward. So I think that was, the, that was the first thing for me was saying, okay, I've been taking photos for a while. Are there things that my eye is drawn toward and are there things that I'm now recognizing that I maybe didn't see as themes or um, 
ideas that I want to explore. So that was part, that was the first nugget of saying, okay, I want to I want to make a project um, at some point. Mm -hmm. That impetus. Um, I will share um, in our summary uh, of this too. There's an amazing poem uh, that Sharon Old wrote, uh, also at that turning point. She turned uh, at Trayvon Martin's death to um, her medium, which is poetry, and I'll, I'll share that. It's called "It's for You." Um, then, it, if I recall, you pulled out themes. Like, how did themes come to you? So themes came. Uh, first, I guess I realized I wanted to tell um, a story and um, wait, a visual. Wait, stop. Can we like actually do all this while we're looking at the book? I mean, I feel like we're, yeah. <laughs> we might as well just like go through this book as we're like talking about this stuff. So Perfect. I'm just going to go ahead and share the screen. The book looks like this. If everybody can still see my face, it's um, <laughs> physically eight and a half by nine and a half inches. Yeah, that's right. Eight and a half by nine and a half inch hardcover, about 140 pages or 144 pages it's printed so, right? 62 slides huh 62 images total 62 yeah 62 images uh, all of course monochrome printed in spain at a press in barcelona named sil s-y-l it has this kind of uh uh german silver um tip in or german silver uh on the on the um cover and on the spine that's upside down and um <laughs> My like I've usually put a plus on all of our book spines. Everything we've most of everything we've made has that little plus. Um, black end papers. I think. Did we pick a like stitching color that was cool or something? We did. I, I think we did gold. Oh, we, got, we went with a white stitch. Like you can't white even stitch, see. That's it. right. But anyhow, that's the book, and I'll show it to you digitally. Um, yeah, let's do it. Perfect. I love the details that you just gave. I never would have like been able to provide the amount of images or the inches of the book. That's great. So now, would you repeat your question and ask Laurent again, and I can go through this book from sure. start. My sense was that he discovered themes from the first act of going through his, his former work. And I love the way that you describe that, Laurent, because it's like, it's like you went back to your work with new eyes or with a focus, um, but what about the themes? So yeah, so when um, it was very, I guess, uh, it was a sort of step-by-step -step basis of, I went back to the work to see what it was that I was moved by, what it was I was inspired by. Um, and in doing that, I realized I want to tell a story of blackness and I wanted to do it from my perspective with the inspirations that I have. So, you know, I'm certainly very inspired by um, previous, you know, street photographers, Robert Frank, um, you know, Gary Winogrand, Henry, Henry Cartier-Bresson, individuals like that. Um, but I thought it was important to tell a story um, that was both modern, but also, um, you know, I didn't know, but I was hoping that it would also manage to be timeless in a way. Um, so once I decided that I want to tell a story about Blackness through my lens, then I went through the process of basically calling all the images that could potentially relate to that story. And so it was very broad. It was basically any image that I thought was beautiful enough to be considered and that had the main focus point subject matter wise of Black people, Black experiences, Black spaces. Um, and then I called those all together. And so that ended up being about 
700 images that I pulled out over sort of out of my archive. Mm -hmm. um, and then from that, I started, you know, being more specific, cutting down what are the images that are really stronger, what are the images that, you know, are not quite so duplicative. Um, so I cut that down to about 300 images. That's when I actually left my little box. So I had a little box of 300 images that I printed on like four by six. I just like shot it out through like Adorama pics and just printed a bunch of them. Mm -hmm. um, and then that was when I started going through all of those images to say, okay, what is in here? And so now that I already have the overarching idea and the overarching subject matter, uh, what are the sub matters that appear repeatedly themes or motifs? And that was how I got to the point of determining four themes um, that I thought appeared repeatedly enough in different ways to be able to be discussed and sort of create a conversation across them all. And how many, before you ask a question, how, how long was this process? How many, how many years did you make this work? First image was about five years ago. So yeah, overall it was about a four, four to five year process. Gotcha. And I, when did we start working on this project? I actually kind of forgotten now. It was sometime last year, right? Or maybe the, even the year before we met and started to- Yeah, I think it was, I think it, I think I first mentioned it to you probably like two years ago. Mm -hmm. And I think initially I mentioned it to you and I brought over, you know, a bunch of images that I had and, you know, talked about the idea that I wanted to do. And I think that, that was before I really even had identified and specifically laid out the themes that I want to explore. Um, so, yeah, I think it was like two years ago. And then we sort of revisited later after I had a tighter um, edit. I had a tighter story. I had more of an understanding of exactly what I wanted to do with the uh, book. And I think that's when we then started like working on it in earnest. Yeah, and then the timeline- Am I breaking up at all, by the way? Because my screen is like skipping a bit. You, your yeah. body does, but your audio is fine. Okay, um, that's fine. Nobody needs to see me that much anymore. Yeah, so I think that the, the true process was actually trying to make this book, I mean, we got this book shipped to us about the first week of shutdown, or maybe yeah. two or three weeks into the coronavirus shutdown is when the books came on a boat from Spain. Uh, so it was, the timing was crazy for this project. Um, we probably started, I think we went to press with this book in January this January. year. Um, mm -hmm. And and luckily we had someone, um, we have a press guy who is from Barcelona. He lives in Amsterdam and he was able to fly down and be on press to make sure that the, the book was printed properly. Um, he, oh, he was on press for us a lot. And this was a time where he was there producing Laurent's book. And I think two other books at the same time, since it's much less expensive to make two or three titles versus just one at a time because shipping is a thousand, like fifteen, two thousand dollars from Spain every time. So shipping is the same no matter how many books you make. So that's why we make multiples at once. Um, I'm say, baby. Yeah, <laughs> hustler mentality. Uh, yeah. So as far as the, what we're seeing in the book, um, we're seeing a lot of Brooklyn. We're seeing a bit of Manhattan, mostly. But where are you mostly in these photographs? Mostly I'm in Brooklyn. So basically, you know, I very, I very rarely set out to say, oh, I'm going to step out of my house. I'm going to make images for this project. It was more, um, and that was kind of where I got to the point of the 
observational artistry. Um, it was very much saying, okay, where are the spaces I find myself naturally? And what are the scenes that I think are important, beautiful, questioning, painful, that sort of thing out of that. Um, so a lot of these are in Brooklyn. I live in Brooklyn. I've lived in Brooklyn since 2007. Um, they touch on all of the boroughs, um, but yeah, it's, a lot of it is Brooklyn, but I also wanted to make sure it didn't always um, feel like on a specific space. Um, I wanted the moments to be kind of uh, human enough to where, you know, even if you're in a different city, you could find connection with the images beyond just the idea of space. Cause it's not, it's a New York city book, but it's not a book about New York city. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Sibylla, I don't know if you had other questions, but um, we can kind of tag team with questions if you want. Yeah. Um, I just, I was writing that down because I love the idea that you just framed it like it's a New York City book, but it's not about New York City. Um, I was just going to ask about the themes. What were the themes that emerged? So the themes ended up being basically um, country, uh, the idea of like patriotism, relationship to country, um, community. Uh, then it also touches on religion and then the idea of authority and, and power. And religion is really sort of you know, broader than that is more like spirit religion, um, that idea. So those four themes ended up being four um, things that I saw appear in different ways um, throughout the book. And so, you know, often the patriotism element is represented by a flag or the presence of a flag. Um, you know, it's all in black and white, so obviously it's not, you know, country colors, but I realized that the flag would be in scenes. And, you know, part of that is just the prevalence of the American flag throughout like our cities and such. But then also I think I found my eye curious to see, you know, the relationships to the flag in various communities and on people and that sort of thing. So yeah, those are the four themes. Um, and I basically broke those themes apart across the book. And then I actually used, there's kind of, it's subtly, broken into four different sections as well. And where we are now is actually the beginning of another one. So I actually used cars as kind of a turning point for the sections just to try and subtly create a little bit of um, flow and energy to it. So there's four cars, three white ones and one black one at the end. Um, and those kind of serve as you know, internal chapter markers. For myself. Yeah. Hmm. yeah, it's apparent when you go through it too, you start to realize like, oh, did I see that? Or did I not? You know, like it's a it's a reflective moment to see these kind of automobiles similarly placed. Um, mm -hmm. How long have you lived in Brooklyn total? Two thousand seven. So oh, we're been there for a while. Years. Yeah, man. Okay. Do you consider yourself a Brooklynite? Where are you from, actually? I'm from Seattle originally. I was born in, well, I was born in Los Angeles, and I grew up outside of Seattle. Uh, I moved yeah I moved to New York in two thousand six. I moved to Brooklyn in two thousand seven. I, for purposes of my New Yorkerness, definitely Brooklyn is home. Um, but I still don't consider myself a New Yorker. I I blended in, but there's a lot of West Coast still in my heart. Uh, I feel like once you're here for like ten, if you get five <laughs> to ten years in, you have to take the subway to work and do a nine to five for over two years. You can consider yourself a New Yorker. I feel like that's those are the minimums, right? If you, I feel I have dual citizenship, maybe. <laughs> If you have a if you have a landlord that you have to deal with and you can take the subway, you become a New Yorker very quickly. <laughs> um, anyway, sorry. So uh, I don't know. I mean, 
I've talked about this book a lot with you. We've gone through this process a bit. At the beginning of the process, of course, we did put those 350 or so images down on a floor or a table or both and kind of tried to edit down to see what what would work with the help mm -hmm. of um, Dr. Jamila Lyscott, who did the poetry or uh, the writing for most of the most of the monograph. Um, are you like looking back onto this process? Are you feeling like we did a good job? Like I, I, I know this is a crazy question to like ask you in the middle of the lecture for the book, but like now we've come like nine months or ten, well actually like a year. We're almost a right. year to the production of this. Like, what are you feeling? How do you feel this went? I mean, we now don't have any copies left, really. I mean, I have this stack of fifteen back here that I'm going to make available for you guys if you want them. But after that, those are the last fifteen copies that we actually have in total. So. Um, we sold about, I think, three to 350. I forgot what the number was. Probably around 320 were sold, and mm -hmm. you got about 30 for yourself. So 350 were made in total. Um, how are you feeling about it? Like, do you wish there were more? Do you wish that there were images that were not included, or do you wish things were deleted? I mean, any of that. You don't have to answer all of those things. Just like one of those would be nice. I, I honestly, actually, I feel very good about it and the way it's continued. Um, and, you know, I mean, I'm very happy for even the fact that, you know, there's spaces like this where people are so interested in discussing it and going through it and getting a chance to, you know, get more into the process and the elements of what made it. Um, and honestly, I'm very happy with the way it came out. At every, at every sort of determinative making step, I was happy with the result. And so I think um, that's culminated into me being happy with the book itself. So I remember you know, when I first got my like edit down, I think when I came to you with like, okay, I think this is the book, you know, after we'd kind of cut things down, I think we were at like 70 something images, something like that maybe. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I felt, I, I did, I felt good about that group of images from the 700 that I'd started with. <laughs> and then once we cut it down to this final 62, I was like, you know, this feels bright. It feels tight. It feels like it's, it doesn't have fat that you know feels duplicative or you know is, you know beating a dead horse or anything like that and so then like so i felt good at that point and then i remember getting all of the poems from jamila and seeing what she had written and i was like oh yeah i like i feel good about what she's made because she gets what i want to do with this and she's doing the same thing through her medium so that felt good and then once yeah. i like weave the poetry into the book and saw how they related to each other and saw how they would, you know, enhance or conflict or, you know, match with particular images. I was like, okay, I feel really good about that. And then lastly, once I like sent all of that to Cyrus and he wrote the essay and he sent it to me, I was like, all right, he gets it. And, and yeah. he communicated that through his medium. So at every step I felt good about the end result. So I still feel good about the total end result, I think because of the culmination of all those like proper steps. Yeah, I mean, you did a bunch of work to make this a reality. I was looking at this page and I just always love how this type moves and curves in and out of itself, like the two lines of type next to each other and how they like swerve. It's just such a beautiful, like it's more than just writing from uh, Jamila. It's like a, it's an art form in itself. Of course it's art anyway, but to then put it on paper as art again is um, pretty special. Exactly. I was thinking about a couple of things as you described that because we could honestly dive into any number of these images because 
there's so many that uh, I want to give attention to or could give attention to, but I'm curious because you brought up uh, a lot of the collaborative part of it. And Chris and um, you, Laurent, were, were, were coming together at around 300 and, and then getting down to the 70 and then really drilling down to the 62. So I'm curious about how you two collaborated. Like, uh, like, are you trying to come up with a consensus? Are you putting two together to say like, okay, which one? Um, mm -hmm. Like, how do you wrestle that out? I think, um, you know, Chris can add to this. It's a fight. Um, no, it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just like, you know, we set up gloves and we said, all right, I want this in again. Yeah. Like, timer. I, I, I always want a shorter, tighter project than one that has a ton of imagery in it. I mean, I would be, this book needed this many photographs. It didn't, it mm -hmm. couldn't work with less. And I thought that more would be um, kind of problematic for something that had this many images to start. I mean, when you're, it's very difficult for somebody to get, well, not very difficult, but like as photographers, we're kind of, we want to see more, right? We're like, just give me more. I want to see another fun, like a good photograph that like brings me some uh, uh, something. But with the outside world, it's more like, I don't need to see a hundred of these things. I'm probably only going to be able to manage to look at 40 or 50 without getting tired of the process. So, um, so that's the that's what that's how we fight with the publishing of it, like making sure that we don't have too much extra. Um, and I think we got it pretty close. I mean, I wanted to cut out more, I bet, because that's just my nature, um, always to kind of cut and say like, we. But it still it works this way. And I think that talking mm -hmm. with with Laurent and Jamila at the same time on a group chat really early in the process and thinking about how other people were con their concerns because I am selfish. So it's like, I have my own concerns about how to make books and I have to step back sometimes and you know talk to the artists, talk to the writers and see like what is working that I can't see. I think that's really important for a publisher. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we had a good process of being able to like, he was able to, um, from a publishing perspective, from a, you know, having made books and knowing how they receive perspective, give us um, sort of an expert idea of saying, hey, look, you know, there's a point where, you know, some people are going to become, you know, fatigued through looking through images and stuff like that. Um, so he was able to give us that perspective to say, okay, we really do need to be mindful of exactly what each image does and says and how it relates to each other thing that we want to communicate. But then he also was very, um, he was very open as far as saying, okay, if you need this thing in here, tell me why. And that will help you come to the understanding of why it needs to be in there. And sometimes, you know, we'd say like, how oh, we need to have this image in there. And he'd say, all right, well, tell me why. And then we'd think, and it's like, ah, I mean, well, we just like it. And, you know, it has to be beyond just <laughs> you thinking an image is nice because that's why you took it. But if we put every image in that we thought was cool, it wouldn't be as effective of a project, I think, because you know it, it really takes it really takes um, slicing down to make something sort of become the best version of itself. Mm -hmm. It's almost like reducing something to its essence. Exactly. And there's now and later too. I mean, like there, I've seen it with a lot of photographers where they think they've made this, and me too. I mean, it's not. It's this is a personal problem. Like, I love this work. 
it looks really great right now. I really want to show it to people. And then you look back two years later and you're like, that was not good work. And I shouldn't have shown it to anybody because it didn't really help me uh, to have given somebody that, to given that to the world. It didn't help my brand. It didn't help my future. So we try to steer clear of that extra just because, you know, my, like having two or three eyes on it makes it tighter, I guess. That's, that's Mm -hmm. just. Yeah, it's, it's, it's certainly my process when I'm working with people on their creative process and curating or editing it down. It's that idea that, um, that's why I asked about your collaboration, because when I'm working with someone, it's like, we both want, we both have different reasons. We have to be able to explain those reasons. And then I call it like, yeah, fight for an image. It's like, okay, if I'm going to give you this one, then I want to be given this one. Or like, you know, you go back and forth about what has the weight that is carrying the whole thing forward. I'm, I'm really interested too that um, Jamila came in in the visual edit at, at such a wide part. And, but it sounds like that was purposeful uh, for everybody. I mean, it obviously fed the ability to write the poetry, um, but it's, it's, it's almost like um, luxurious and, and really fortuitous that, they, that, that she had that time. Mm-hmm. Or gave yeah, that. because even the way that um, the poetry came about, um, I knew that I didn't want the poetry to be effectively captions for the images. Mm-hmm. I wanted it to have a wider relationship to the body of work. Um, so even the way that the poetry came about, that folder of, I forget if it was the 300 or the 700 images, one of the two, mm-hmm. I gave her that folder access to look through all the images that were potentially going to be included in the book. Mm-hmm. And so she wrote poetry based off of the images that moved her, um, after, off of the images that she was inspired by. And she even, you know, she would pull and put together images that she thought were in conversation together and create poetry based off of that. And then when she, then she gave me that poetry basically. And then I created my own sequence of images that became you know, the ultimate sequence of the book and layered in that poetry so that you know, there might've been images that she was inspired to write poetry by that aren't in the book um, and by yeah. the sort of thing. And so I think it created an idea and a space where the poetry related to the project on a whole, rather than saying, oh, let me write a poem about the boy in this photo. And then I also use that to create, sometimes I put the poetry next to an image that wasn't directly visually related to the subject matter, but that I thought had a a correlation because I wanted to kind of stress the idea that um, what you're looking at is determined by how you see it um, as far as your reception of it. So I think that gave me an opportunity to do that as well and not have it be a one-to-one sort of, you know, relationship. Gotcha. Yeah, um, I mean, I, 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 go ahead, Chris, what were you going to say? I was just going to say that if you want to jump back on with your videos, please do. We can open it up to some question and answers and maybe you can answer the, ask the questions in person instead of through text. But if you want to ask through text, you can drop them in the chat as well. And then we can start to like have more of a conversation about this. Let me know if you can unmute and do like that stuff on your end so that we know that it's possible. And um, yeah, Uh, I just wanted to say thanks for listening to all that. I mean, it's really, it's awesome for me to see the book. I'm glad that I own a copy. Uh, 
<laughs> so I get to look at it whenever I want. But um, but yeah, it's it's always so informative to me because this year um, we haven't been able to do any of this in person. Usually we'd be at like by this point in the year we'd have been to twelve or fifteen book fairs around the world, uh, and we've been talking to people about it. it definitely, I mean. Of course, it's sold out anyway, so that was kind of cool. I mean, so it, for us, it's very rare to be able to sell out of a book without being on a table. So that's a that's a commendation to Laurent's hard work on this project. It, it, it went way faster than I thought um, than I thought it would go. Um, before over delivering, so I figured I'd try and do. <laughs> yeah, this is like yeah, it's it was it was perfect. Uh, before before anything else, before the Q and A, I just wanted to say that. We do have this available. I just made it live on my website, kgpnyc.com. Um, and it will be live there for another hour before I turn it off for until we can actually put them on a table. So there's 15 available. If they sell out today, they sell out. If not, they will act as sold out until I can put them on a table next year. But um, the first question I have from the chat was, um, could you talk more about one, one of the themes, religion in particular, in the books, photographs? Mm. Yeah, so I mean, uh, part of it is that, you know, I grew up in a very Christian church household, um, you go to going to church every Sunday, and then also um, in New York, and I feel like specifically Bedside, there's so many churches around, and I think that there is a very strong relationship um, between the Black community and some idea of religion, spirituality, church, what have you, you know, a lot of that it's family-based, um, you know, you have the aunt or the grandma that's, you know, always talking about God and church and such like that. Um, a lot of, you know, the songs that um, are popular, you know, classics and everything stemmed from people that got their start in gospel singing. Um, and it's a root that I think threads throughout a lot of the Black community, whether you directly um, participate or not. And so I found a lot of those moments to be um, prescient just throughout throughout the, the city, you know, so I wanted to have that be a, a representative part and that th that it's a complicated relationship, right? Because obviously um, church and let's say, you know, specifically Christianity has been a source of support and comfort for a lot of people over all the ills that black people have suffered throughout this country, but it's also been weaponized in many ways as well. So, you know, there's a lot of, there's a, a multifaceted effect of that presence and that's why I, I, I kind of wanted to talk about that you know some preachers are out there selling dreams to people and becoming rich and impoverishing their communities and some people are really providing resources and providing help and assistance to people that you know otherwise should be getting assistance and help from their communities or their governments. so it's a yeah. multiple effect and that's what I want to try and explore a little bit um, with the images that touch on that idea um, in the book it was also you let me know that that's how you knew Jamela, right? Was through yep. your church. Exactly. Yeah. So that's how I actually first met Jamela. We go to church together, and so I first saw her perform poetry. She was uh, performing as basically as a spoken word artist, um, and I remember seeing her and hearing her work and knowing that she had a very powerful presence with her words. Um, and then as we talked about, as we talked about the process, and as I told her about what I wanted to do. I thought that she understood what I wanted to do um, and that she would, I thought that she would bring a, a great perspective to it. And so, yeah, that was our first, that was our first connection. 
And also, it was important for me to, um, I wanted to try and have, be able to work with a Black woman specifically on the project as well and have that voice be part of the discussion because obviously, you know, there is no Black community without Black women. Um, and so being able to have that be the counterpoint to my visual perspective was important um, for me as well. I'm seeing another uh, comment in the chat. Can you talk? Uh, can you talk about how you put two photos next to each other as example of specific sequencing? Excellent. I was going to ask about sequencing. Great. Yeah. So sequencing, um, sequencing is such an interesting thing to me because it's so subjective. Um, but then you have to think as much as you possibly can objectively and you have to know that the people that will be receiving this will not have the perspective and insight that you have um, so in sequencing part of sequencing was determining those themes for me so i said okay every so many images or every section that i create i want to touch on these particular aspects so that was one thing that did help me with sequencing so i'd say okay i've put together this group of images under this section of you know a, a vehicle Oh, but I haven't really shown something that touches on religion or I haven't shown something that touches on authority or patriotism. So maybe I need to find something to add to that to make sure I'm discussing and communicating all the things that I want to. And then from that sequencing, I think the the thing that helped for me was first seeing it all together visually, like Chris said, putting it on the floor, putting it on the table, putting it on the wall and just looking at it and saying, okay, what what feels a little bit too too close, so it becomes monotonous. What becomes too jumbled, so it's too back and forth. Um, so then the sequencing for that was in bunches. So I'd say, okay, this image really speaks to this image. I'm gonna put it next to it. And then those two images, now that they're together, they say this thing, or they need to be counteracted by this thing. So I'm gonna put that next to that. So like, yeah, for instance, like these two here, Love this was really about movement for me. And actually, Chris, can you go back one page? Uh, maybe two. Is this the is this in sequence of all of them? I believe that this is the sequence. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So can you go back two more to the first white car? This oh wait, picture? no. I'm sorry. It's too forward. Sorry. Back, moving back. That, that, moving uh... back. Moving back. Okay, right here is good. I love these. Yeah, so for me, this was about kind of um, sequencing movement with by using um, an element that was a part of all the pictures. So on the picture on the left, you have the boy looking out from the fence. And so you're very close to the fence. And so then I thought, okay, what's on the other side of that fence? So then I saw the image on the right, and I thought, okay, it's almost like he's on the other side of the fence. So the boy's looking at him or he was looking at the boy, but there's like a movement from inside the fence, which is the primary focus of the image on the left to outside the fence with the fence behind as the primary image on the right. And then Chris, can you go to the next image? Then I wanted to keep that, that flow moving by showing this car even farther away from the same type of fence. So that was, that's an example of sequencing and movement for me and figuring out, okay, how do I get from here to there and cover different subject matters along mm -hmm. the way? And so th these two are another one of, you know, movement and scene and saying, okay, the idea is basically that these are the same place, 
but they're different moments and different perspectives. So, you know, the train could be going by as those people are on the bench. And then when you look farther down the platform, there's a gentleman that's waiting off for the train as well that we see from the back with his do-rag on. So sometimes the sequence is spatially, sometimes it's visually, and then sometimes it's more thematically. And I like a lot of the sequencing for me was like thinking about characters in the images interacting with each other. It's like, you know, it almost looks like the preacher man is pointing at the dude on the bike. And, you know, maybe he has a relationship with him. Maybe he's like, hey, what's up, young blood? Or maybe he's like, slow down. Or, you know, these kids out here are not following Jesus. Like, who knows what that interaction is? But I like the idea of like characters in the images interacting with each other. Yeah. And I think that that's what makes these projects actually work. Um, that mix between a document and the concept, the conceptual, the, the idea that there could be a thought process that you can imagine yourself. You know, this is what's, that's what I feel is important in the book. Yeah, there's a, a almost a cinematic quality to it that I get when I'm looking and you're taking, you know, like you're allowing me to drop in and do some of that thinking beyond what I'm seeing from, from yeah. a lot of different perspectives. And I love this. I got another uh, comment cats, from the older cats, all these lines oh, yeah. up in the center of the frames, like just <laughs> pretty like This fun. one I love because it feels like a time jump. It feels like those are the gentlemen <laughs> in 30 years, you know, still yeah. hanging out, still talking trash and still, you know, sort of navigating the space of their environment. Mm -hmm. um, I just got another wait, one said. Can you go? Can you go back to that one for a sec? Because it, it. I think this is what's so incredible about the book, is that you're hit. At least I am as a viewer. I'm hit aesthetically. I'm hit on so many different levels at the same time. And then each time I look, I get something else from it. But I mean, this is going to be a, a silly thing to bring out, and it's just kind of for me, because I, I go in and think about things like uh, on like, what is my emotional response to it? What is like a historical societal, uh, like all the different ways in which to look and learn. But then when I'm looking aesthetically, like you do have these two things that look like it could be the time jump. And it's like that idea of community that you just froze. But then think, looking at the formal composition of both of these and that you have this like cut off triangle in the upper corner on each side, like there's, that, there's a kind of crazy synergy going on sometimes in the formal composition that just like blows my mind. Cause it's like, it hits so many notes at the same time. Mm. And, and actually it may, you made me think of this when you were talking about it before with your collaboration which is you, you, Laurent, are very generous in that process and really allowing an idea to sit with someone else and expand and move and you're not at all rigid about it. And it, it does feel like riffing. Um, and I know that when we took apart um, African cosmologies, the whole idea of that exhibit was, was visual jazz. And it's like, I think you've, done that too. Yeah, jazz is definitely um, an element to how I even, you know, think about making images and being in and among the street, you know, I mean, I even have uh, a playlist of jazz music that I made that I basically listen to when I'm out 
photographs and I call it music take pictures too. And it's just, you know, jazz that I feel like kind of speaks to me. So I, I and I love that idea um, because I think jazz is a beautiful art form in that way and that it requires, it requires an expert level of foundational understanding and technique musically. And then you find freedom after that. But you can't just, you can't pop in and play jazz if you don't understand how to like make music. You don't have to know the formal rules of it, of music, but you have to understand music. And, you know, and that also speaks to me as someone who is, you know, self-taught. I didn't, you know, go to art school or anything in that regard. So it sort of validates the idea that you have to like learn your work and become good at it, but it doesn't require following specific rules in order to make it still be an excellent, you know, thing. Gotcha. And we have a question about, are they full-framed images in the book or is stuff, some stuff cropped? I would go out and say that everything is full-framed. We didn't actually crop any images for this book. They're all yeah, blank they're all. on individual pages. Nothing crosses the spine. It's a pretty, it's a pretty um, monographic monograph. I mean, like there's, <laughs> it, is, it is extremely photographic in its origins and like kind of look, feel, everything. This book could definitely be made exactly the same 50 years ago. And I, I hope that it can be made just like this 50 years from now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, that's so cool though, to think about that. Like, how about those decisions? I know these are silly to, like we bounce back between some pretty amazing topics here. And then uh, I couldn't help but think, and Chris, when you noted how like the poetry, like Jamila's words started to look like a sculpture, like they, they were their own aesthetically pleasing thing. And, and here they are, you know, they're really about the text, but like, look how nice they look or how, how much they move, right? Which is movement was so important. But I was looking at it going, okay, I am a center. Like I love things justified in this center sometimes. And I'm thinking like, okay, so who thought of that? Was that you, Laurent? Was that you, Chris? Did you discuss it? Like, how'd that happen? I'm trying to think how much we discussed that. I, I can't remember how much we discussed that, but I think it just, it's fit for it to be that way because yeah. in many ways, you know, it in many ways it was about the text and the, the additional visual element of the text being written in certain ways was kind of like her doing and her and you know and it worked and it made sense. But it wasn't like it wasn't like the design of the text was what um was important. So as far as like feeling like, oh I need to put the text in some funky place on the page. That wasn't needed for me because it was more about what does the text do to the image itself, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So I think that's that's how we got to um, that's how we got to it. I do yeah. see a question that um, is always good. Too. Oh, wait, Go ahead, wait. Chris, then... Before you answer that question, I just wanted to say that um, yeah, actually, you know what? Let's just answer the question. Can you talk about <laughs> the process of choosing the? But I can go on all day about this, like all this stuff. So I'll try to keep it. Um, not crazy. No, no, that's okay. We're going to circle back. Yeah. <laughs> talk about the process of choosing the book's title and cover design. Um, as far as the, the cover design, I believe that Laurent had this in mind and we wanted some gold text on the front of a hardcover book. I think that was the basis. Mm. Um, yeah. So originally, actually funny, originally I wanted it, I got the title first and then um, picked the design, which I think is probably the way it should go. Hopefully. Um, but um, originally, I was thinking of having the text just be basically offset of this of a similar color as the cover, um, uh -huh. and it almost being more of a textured idea. But we talked about, you know, okay, you know, visually, 
people still need to see the title and you know you want to be able to kind of pop enough on the table that someone you know takes a look at it kind of thing so we yeah. added the element yeah. of the like, gold i've made black books with black tippins before meaning mm -hmm. like a debossed black and while they look beautiful like i made a book with laura mcphee like 11 years ago um and it's 16 by 20 inches and her name is on the cover black on black is just a difficult read uh so i probably kind of forced him to not do that <laughs> but so the idea of wanting it to be um black on black or you know i was thinking initially perhaps just a slightly different shade of black for the text but having it being that sort of tipped in textured idea was basically the idea that um within the community of blackness there are variations and differences and then that also ties back to the title um, and the idea of enough being a multi-faceted word that really depends on the perspective of both the receiver and the giver so you know it can be a declaration it can be a sigh of exasperation you know it can be frustration it can be so many different things depending on the context and that was why uh, that was why i chose that title because all of those different interpretations relate to the experience of being black in america and that also kind of ties to like one other little nugget of the book is i in all the images i chose i wanted black spaces or black people to be the focal point and so if you look and i but i didn't want it to be overt like me telling you that but if you look there's no like white subjects in the book but i didn't want to feel like i was blocking it out because that's not how it is like when you're living as a black person with your people and stuff often you're just it's not like you're blocking anybody out but this is this is your space this is your community this is where you find home um and that's what i wanted to also be manifest throughout the book as well so there were some images that i really liked that i thought spoke to the experience but i was like no it just won't work because i just want this book to be just black folk mm. I think yeah. that's so important in terms of, I mean, that's as, that is as important an edit as anything else. It's a, it's a parameter that you set up and with a purpose, again, to feed your context. So. Um, and historically, I would mention that like this book here is um, eight and a half by nine and a half inches. The first two books that I ever made for myself were the exact same size. Uh, same company of cloth, just different colors. So, and then last year we made a book with a photographer named Isaac Diggs about Los Angeles, photographed in not a dissimilar way, color Leica instead of black and white Leica, but um, just <laughs> photographing these scenes of Los Angeles um, as far as what they look like um, or what they feel like, not, not documentary style photographs of the street, but these scenes in Los Angeles that are just apparent to people that live in Los Angeles. This is normal here and it's not normal anywhere else. And that is what that book is about, same size. So now you can put all four of these on the shelf and they have the same height, same cloth, very similar uh, spines, plus in the middle, and they just look like a matching set. And they're all from black men, which is cool. It's not something I was thinking about when we were doing it. It's just a, it's just a price effective way uh, to print this size i mean it's like if we go any bigger then it's going to cost almost double to print it so this is the size we usually do these like large monographs at to keep the price in um pr the price under 10 grand pretty much i think that's how we do it so next right. year hopefully we get another person so i mean it may not be a black person next year i'm working with a few photographers that could fit a book like this but next year same deal i'm going to make another eight and a half inch tall cloth bound book 
and keep this kind of series that no one knows is happening going for myself. <laughs> That's the best part. You didn't know it was happening till recently either, right? Not until I got Laurent's book and put them on the shelf next to the others did I know. Yeah. Which, I mean, I'm always pulling out the pieces that I think can inform someone's creative process and that kind of reflection. Like, I love that I mean, Laurent, you've given us like a million examples of that uh, in terms of like what you're reflecting on. And like, even when you got to the themes, your themes are very porous in a way. They're very purposeful and um, um, uh, deliberate, but they're not uh, easily quantifiable. And, and, and the fact that you went back to your work to look with new eyes, um, all of that is so important because I work with so many people that are so like, I want to show, I want a book, uh, like this is what's going to make me like whatever. And, and it's this idea of like the product being the focus instead of the process. And mm -hmm. I can't drill it down enough that if you do the process, the product is going to sing and it's going to have all this resonance like you put into it because you let it percolate and you let it boil down and you let it, you let the essence come up out of it. And then Chris, you just gave that example of like, you know, I didn't know I was doing this, but look what I just did. Right. And it's like that idea of being in conversation with your work is so important. Um, and I think it gets lost. Like I get, it gets lost in the, in the, the, the like we're in such a, a media and image saturated world. Um, and how, how to allow things the time, uh, like you said before, Chris, like you put stuff out and it was like, Ooh, wait. <laughs> It's like giving somebody your bread that you just made and it wasn't cooked enough. It's like, can I take that back? But, you know, it's like right. it's that whole idea, the attention to the process. Um, yeah, and it's the artist thing. I mean, we want our work to be out there now, usually. I mean, a lot of artists work with a, um, with a mindset of this will happen in the future and it will be fine whenever it comes out. But for for me, I want all the stuff out now and I just have to be smart and we all have to be kind of smart about what we're showing to what we're showing to the world, you know? Exactly. And there were moments where I had, you know, been working on this process and I had, you know, a lot of images that I really liked and I even had a rough sequence and I thought, oh, you know, maybe I should just, I don't know, put it online or just put it out like with a little zine set up or something like that. But I knew that um, ultimately I thought that this, should be received in book form and that it should be received um, properly packaged the way I thought would most be effective in book form. And so that took some patience of just waiting till the moment was right. Like, you know, me, Chris and I had met a few years prior to us even talking about this book, but it wasn't like I had some outlet where I was like, oh, I'll just call Chris and put out the book. Like there were other opportunities that I had sought that I thought perhaps should have been the way that it got out. But if it didn't work and it wasn't right, then it wasn't right. And I needed to wait until the process was sort of at its culmination point to where it worked together and it came out the way it needed to be. So that's, and that sort of ties to your earlier question of, I guess, why I still feel good about the project now is, you know, I didn't rush it just to get it out, just to have it because I wanted it to be out, like Chris said, because we always want stuff to be out. But if you can kind of exercise a little bit of restraint and say, okay, is this really the way it needs to be out? If not, then maybe I should wait a second. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Well, I want to ask or kind of turn our conversation a little bit um, because I think um, you really gave us the vantage point of going within, right? That, that this process and your notion um, of blackness that you have put together in this form came from you spending time with yourself and an internal process and this external. And it, it makes me go back to Cyrus's point, which is like, we're at this gathering and we're at this um, kind of juncture. So, uh, and, it, and, it, and it has to do with like, okay, like we're not looking over our shoulder, we're looking forward. So can we talk a little bit about that? Like that's a pretty, uh, I don't even know how to qualify it because it's it's just it's um yeah I think it kind of ties honestly so to wide open but go ahead yeah I think it ties to um my selection of the title uh, in that I wanted a title that spoke to a lot of different experiences which I thought was accurate but I also um, wanted the book to ultimately um express my own perspective on what the title meant to me which was about sufficiency Mm -hmm. um, and basically saying, you know, we are and have been enough as a community mm -hmm. um, and that it really is an internal acceptance of that that you have to make um, in order to find some sort of, you know, peace and, and um, joy in life. Because, you know, if you look to the external, you'll find um, a lot of opportunities that will um, detract from that understanding or tell you otherwise. Um, so that that was what it was about for me it was kind of creating a space for though it's my in, though that is my internal perspective creating enough of a, a leeway so that whatever your internal perspective is you'll see it and you'll find affirmations in it so if you're angry you'll find spaces that reflect that anger and that frustration in the book if you're joyous you'll find places for that um, and then hopefully with time you'll be able to find more different spaces that speak to you differently. So for instance, the book came out in, I believe we started shipping in what, April? Yeah, I believe we're mid-April, May 1st, something like that. Yeah, so something like that. And then, so that's six to seven weeks before George Floyd. And so there was a point where um, floating around, you know, Instagram and stuff was a screenshot from the book of one of Jamila's poems that really spoke to that moment and the anger and the frustration and pain of that moment felt by so many people. Um, but what I hope is that as valid as that is, that then later years down the road, when someone picks up the book, um, say at the Schomburg, which the book uh, got collected by the Schomburg, shout out to Graves getting it in there. Um, yeah, say, you know, 30 years down the road, someone picks up the book, um, that they'll find the joyous moments that are in the book and be able to hopefully relate to those more due to bettering of times. I don't know <laughs> whether that will be, <laughs> but that's you know, the uh, space that I wanted to create. We can yeah. have hope. We need hope for that. Exactly. Yeah. So I want well, to I'm, create space for hope and pain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, frankly, isn't that what we always have to like hang on to? We, we try to say that it's not, but it's basically like, yeah, in everything. Right. Um, but what you made me think of um, was, uh, I lost my train of thought when I was thinking about that. The, um, 
oh, that 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 first quote that I had of Teju Cole is is um, literally uh, it's six years old. So he was writing about things that you could think that he was you know, like you don't know where, right? And and it's mm -hmm. just like you think about the the like here are Jamila's poems that were already created before this horrible murder, but they're like talking about it because it, there's that frame. So it's this kind of... Um, uh, it's like the timelessness of, of America. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And just, um, you know, yeah, the, the, it's, it's a fascinating... Um, uh, Time and I feel like all of the thinking and reflecting that you did do. Um, I don't know. I just feel like you were an amazing steward for what you gave, and that it's a real gift. I mean, it's a gift to me, and obviously not. I'm not your target of an audience um, in the sense that it's like your. It's a gift. It's a gift that you gave the process, the time, and that you brought all those pieces together. Um, and uh, and I and I am curious, uh, and I think we all are. Like, and I think I really love what you said about um, you have to go inside to be able to do the reckoning, to be able to walk in the right direction on the outside. And I think that that's what's being called for across the board. Um, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, like this was a tsunami of uh, opportunity to do that over the past year. Right. Okay, we have another question. Um, how do how did you determine what pages to include poetry on, and which have, and oppositely, which had the white? I think that the first part of our question is enough. How do you how did you determine what pages to include poetry on? Okay. Um, yeah, part of it was. Um, the number of poems that I had. So, you know, Jamila wrote a number of poems, but it wasn't, you know, she didn't write hundreds of poems to just, you know, pluck and pull from. So there's a certain number of poems I had to work with. Um, and then part of it was then, you know, like I said, creating a flow and a rhythm and finding the points where the poetry um, would complement and be in conversation with the work that came before and after it and provide sort of maybe that point of inflection or counteraction or something like that. Um, and so, yeah, part of, a lot of it was just making sure that um, there was space for everything to breathe and also relate to each other. So, you know, I, because like you mentioned, we're in such a media inundated world. Um, I also wanted to kind of encourage people to be able to take their time with images and not just like image, image, image or poetry, 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 just like kind of create a little bit more of a rhythm where people can say, okay, I'm flowing through this thing and let me see let me take my time with you know where the flow takes me. So yeah, I think that's that's probably how we kind of work through figuring out where the poetry and the white spaces would ultimately be. Gotcha. And if you guys have questions and you don't want to write them down, please feel free to audio them in or come on screen or whatever you need to do. But we're open. Yeah, I see. D Saunders had a question regarding audience. I'm curious what the question was. Yeah, um, but great. yes. Hi, can you hear me? Yes. Yep. Hi, um, Laurent, this, this is Daryl and uh, Saunders. I was just curious, um, when people do a book, they think about 
to a larger degree or a lesser degree, they think about the audience that they are looking to talk to. And so I just wondered, um, one, if you thought about that or if it was really more of what you wanted to say. And then two, I just was curious, since so many of the books have sold out, were there some interesting trends regarding, was it, if you even know, was it mostly collectors or other artists or, you know, that sort of thing? So it's sort of two different questions, but both kind of about audience. Yeah, um, I guess I'll go, I'll go the second one first. <laughs> I'm actually, I mean, I guess, <laughs> exactly, I was going to say, I'll, I, I can ask Chris if he knows any of it, but I don't really know exactly. I mean, I know a lot of friends got them and, you know, reached back out to me. Um, to say that they got it and they were excited about it. You know, some people had missed it and then came back around when, you know, we realized there were some more books available. Um, so I know a good number of friends got it. But then there was a lot of people that, you know, maybe tagged me in a story that I didn't know. So maybe you might be able to answer yeah. that too. Oh, I, I think that what we ask of artists to begin with is that they find most of their own money for the pre-order. Meaning we don't ask any, we don't ask artists for money for making books with us. We We only ask that they can find 75 to 85% of the money through pre-order. Meaning Laurent's book, let's say it costs a total of eight grand. I tell Laurent it costs seven. Uh, and then- um, <laughs> Sell, um, yeah, we were selling it for $42 to start because hardcover. I mean, each book probably costs about over 25 or so to make because we only made 350 of them. So you know, we keep our editions pretty short because we don't want to keep them forever. We want the artists to move on and make new things with us. So we want to sell out within a year, year and a half usually. Uh, this one sold out particularly fast because of the movements in Black Lives Matter. And I think people were just down for the cause of right. Black Lives um, So it was, this book was fit perfectly this year, actually, unfortunately, perfectly this year. And um, yeah, so Laurent probably found about a hundred pre-orders which led us to about, uh, I don't know, 40, like that's about four grand. And then we sold out of all of our print editions, which was like an edition of 10 at $200 a piece times three prints. That's another six grand. So that covered the cost for the book. It took probably a month or two, maybe two months to do that. Mm -hmm. But you know, before we had a book on the table, we had enough money to make the project. And then I was able to pay for like the shipping of that project a little bit after like another month and you know the book making process for me is not about making money it never has been and i don't think it ever could be actually because books <laughs> cost so much to make compared to how much i want to sell them for i refuse to sell books for like 70 dollars. i mean this book is hardcover and could sell for 75 but i want i want everyone that i know to be able to afford this book without having to think about it too hard right like exactly. if you can go to a bar and have four drinks then you can afford this book is how i think about these things all the time so um, so yeah, that's how we went into the process. We made enough money to make it. And then we probably should have made more books. That's it. I mean, we did a, <laughs> I did a bit of advertising on Instagram and that was helpful. I think I was selling for about two, a month or a month and a half. I sold one book per day on Instagram based on like a $2 per day ad. So huh. that was, helpful. that never really works. I mean, I've done that since and it hasn't worked at all. But like <laughs> book at that time period, it was working. So I took it and I kept the ad going because more people were getting to know the book. People, some of those people were buying prints like strangers, but mm -hmm. I would say that a third of this book went to Laurent's people about, I would say another third went to my people, which includes the museums probably about, I mean, I don't know at this point, I don't keep the numbers uh, sadly, cause I don't care, but um, I should care more. 
And yes, we sold to Guggenheim, the Met, I think the Metropolitan Museum. I think I told you Met, right? That was you told me the Met, yeah. You just told me Met, recently. Oma, um, Texas Stanford State Library, I think. Texas, Texas State, State University, um, and I'm sure there's more, and I should know that, but I don't. And I'm holding, I am, a, if you guys don't buy all these, then I'll be holding two or three of those for the museums that I haven't contacted this year yet. Like we usually sell our books to Getty, um, Art Center College in Pasadena, you know, School of the Art, School of the Art Institute of Chicago buys our books all the time. So we have people on our list that we haven't contacted during this hard year, and we hope to save some for them as well. Okay, thank you. And then the other part of that, the first part of the question, I guess, was, it seems like you didn't, this was something, this was your voice, you weren't really looking at audience per se, I don't. Yeah, so I mean, I think the first thing was um, certainly making sure that I knew what I wanted to say and finding my voice. Uh, but in audience, audience wise, I wanted it to be, I, I wanted to create something that could be appreciated and received by everyone but that it was really for the people in and around my community. So very much along the lines, like I'm very inspired by Toni Morrison's approach to storytelling in that she creates these amazing stories, but ulti like ultimately they are black stories and in a way they're for them just because that's, you're gonna get something and understand something different from it because you're a member of that community and such, but it doesn't negate the idea that anyone can partake and appreciate and enjoy the bluest eye but when you have family members that you know <laughs> speak in the same way and tell you the same stories as the subject matter of the book then you're going to get that much more from it and that was the approach i wanted to take for this book so that you know when you're looking at certain images you can say oh man like that looks like my grandma or i know that place or i have that same hairnet or you know i do my daughter's hair that way mm -hmm. um but then also there's I forget who said it, but someone said basically if you go personal enough, then it becomes sort of broad. And so that, you know, if you create, if you find the humanity um, in any moment, then anybody can tap in. It's just that you'll have a different experience of it if you're still uh, connected to that particular culture and, and perspective. Thank you. And then I just have one other really quick question that I just thought of, and that is that had you determined how many pages you were going to have and then you sort of um worked the poetry and the space and the images into that or did you have the poetry space and images determine how many pages there would be pages that kind of came down to a cost thing with the um yeah with the um yeah pages are on the page multiples on the on a book this size you know you can fit eight up i mean whatever that means to you the the press sheet size for this paper is 28 by 40 inches which means that we can fit an eight and a half by 10 inch piece of paper eight times up on that page and eight times down which means we can fit 16 spreads 16 pages on one piece of paper and then you times that by however many pages we think we need and then we work with that number that's a that's how we figure out the book uh, so it's always like an increment. It was always like an increment of sixteen. Then do you mean yes. as a page? Because you had to work with. Okay, I see. Each signature is sixteen pages, and we have, I think, nine signatures. And one, two, three, four, eight signatures times sixteen. So that's the book. Oh, okay, so that's like big decisions then, because if you're three images over, it's kind of like you reduce it maybe by a signature. But if you're ten images over, maybe you add. A signature. I mean, just depending. Yep. Yeah, right, right. And, and it's not really based on the cost. images. 
I think it's more based on, uh, well, you know, cost of pages is not what you're paying for. You're really paying for hand things, meaning if you go on press, you can make all the pages you want and they're, the prices are not gonna keep skyrocketing. But once you have somebody touch it with their hands to produce the finalize, finalization is when you pay money, like tip in covers, you pay money. Like that's gonna be, you know, every piece of this will cost a few dollars extra. Like black, the cloth is gonna be like, you know, a dollar extra over paper. Uh, the, the end papers are gonna cost a dollar. And these are like per book kind of cost. Every time you put a foil stamp on the cover, it's gonna be like a dollar here, dollar here, dollar here. So at times the 350 books we're making. So it just adds, 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 adds. Um, mm -hmm. As far as just the pages in the book, I mean, we use a paper that is pretty standard in Europe. And um, I've been using it since, you know, 2004 or something, or a long time, not that long, but a long time. And I know what it does. I know what it looks like. I know that, I know that the images will work on this paper and uh, they'll be thick and heavy and make the book heavy. Um, and, uh, yeah, but yeah, you, but this size book, you can get 16 on a page. When I make a smaller book, I'm usually trying to get 32 on a page. Like if this book was seven by nine inches or seven by eight and a half inches, I could fit 32 pages on one piece of paper, which means a 64 page book would be very cheap to make, especially soft cover because there has to be no hands. It's just perfect bounds, signatures into glue. And that that costs less than having someone produce this hardcover for us. So these are all the costs as they add up. You know, that's why hardcover usually costs two or three grand more than a softcover book. Uh, there's a lot of information there. I have 10 more minutes. I can do this for 10 more minutes. So the question- I would love to um, Jump do two things. One is that um, I would love to uh, ask that last question or ask Laurent to answer that one in the chat. Mm -hmm. about what does success mean to you within the context of this book and as an artist what's next and then i just have one thing i'd like to wrap it with so go for okay. it yeah um i think it's a good question um something to consider certainly i mean you know uh monetarily certainly was not the determination of success you know i didn't want to <laughs> go broke made no money i made no money so you know thankfully it didn't cost me um as far as like, you know, monetarily to make the book. So for me, success was, um, number one, I think it was getting a project across that resonated to some degree along the lines of what I hope. So every time someone goes through the book and comes back to me and says some perspective on how they receive and find and explore um, the black experience, I consider that a success because that's what I wanted to discuss and, and approach. Um, and then a secondary success, which I think is not quantifiable, is just, you know, getting people to really uh, take time with images and consider um, the scenes and perspectives that they find themselves in, or also the scenes and perspectives that they don't find themselves in, you know, to consider the alternative experience that's beyond your normal purview. So, you know, if this is not your community, maybe having a little bit more understanding that there are people who live their daily lives in a completely different way than you, um, and that's normal for them um, to many degrees. So getting people to just think about um, their own circumstances and the circumstances of people, you know, beyond their space, I would consider um, another success. And just, you know, getting getting eyes on it, getting people to know how I think about the world and how I uh, approach this particular project and getting a chance to engage with people um, in that respect is another element of the success, I'd say, for me as well. Yeah, and I think that once we get to put this on a table, even if we have none left, I'll be showing it to people on a table for a year anyway. So there will be some more eyes on it, even if they can't own it, which is great. 
So at some point I'll have five left and I'll sell them for about a thousand dollars a piece and then we'll go from there. That's when I that's when I can give Laurent money for this. <laughs> no, that's uh, that's what drinks. Yeah, we play our own secondary market game in-house. So that I think that's you know, that's the future of this kind of book world. We have to do it all ourselves and um right. Yeah, we'll be on table soon. I, I can't wait for this next year because you know, this year was a lonely one. We didn't we didn't get to do the the fun of a project for me is to hang out meet new people, introduce Laurent to like everyone and then do it that way, you know? So, so next year is going to be pretty awesome. Yeah. I hope next fall, I should say, actually. I think so. I'm hopeful. Um, I just wanted to, um, to, to drop this one thing that came up when I was looking around and, and doing some reading. I didn't go out of my way to find this stat, but I was kind of surprised and I wanted to share it. I was reading uh, an article, an interview um, with Dawood Bay, and his uh, class pictures book was produced in 2007, the year that you moved to Brooklyn, Laurent, um, by Aperture. And it was only the second book published by Aperture by a Black photographer. Yeah, so I thought it was still under 10, but like, yeah, that makes sense. I thought that was amazing. So, um, yeah. Like I, like I wasn't looking for that. And it was just like, you know, never cease to be amazed here. Um, well, I still don't know how I came across it, but I'm just so glad that I did. Um, I got my copy, I think in July. I don't, I honestly can't retrace it. We were talking about it. I don't know. But um, yeah, it, it, it's a moving, moving piece. And I'm so glad to hear and learn about all the thoughtful, Prep. And it also seems like you guys had some fun on your way between the two yeah. of you. Yeah, it was nice to be able to meet up before we knew that a pandemic was happening and then just trying to get things done. <laughs> sure. That always helps. Maybe, maybe the only time I think, well, the last time I saw you, Chris, was in Portland, Oregon. I don't know. I don't know where it will be again. Hopefully in but, Portland again. Who knows? I mean, maybe Boston. I have no idea. We'll see where this thing takes us, really. Oh my God. Well, I'm a I'm a Brooklynite at heart, and I'm a New Yorker, so you can take me out of the Great. city, but it never leaves ever, ever, ever. So Perfect. I'm happy way to be. Yeah, it it's what it is. So um, I want to thank everybody for coming, and um, especially Chris and Laurent. Thank you so much for the the conversation and the um, insights. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having us. Glad to All be able to get a chance to talk about it. Better. Sorry, interested in the the artwork. Yeah, definitely. So feel free to reach out with me. You know, if you, if anybody ever has any questions or wants to see what else I'm next up to next, um, you know, feel free to reach out. I'll put my website in the chat just in case. Oh yeah. Okay, great. And there. we do. Yep, we send a follow up email which will have um a, like links to different things that we've talked about. So your website's definitely in that, and your Instagram too. Yeah. Great. Thank, thank you, you all. Appreciate it. And thank you, Chris, for driving. I, that was awesome. <laughs> I didn't no feel, I'm so happy. I should work from home more often. Yeah, why not? Great. I work from home. Exactly. It works for me. I mean, I don't work from home, <laughs> but it's nice, you know, Zoom, set up your Zoom properly and then just press the button. There you so, go. But thanks so much for having us. And, you thanks know, so much, all. Th yeah, thanks for listening, really. And we'll see you soon. Yeah. Talk soon. Excellent. All right. Take care. Thanks. Bye.